This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you could have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. Every day, our world gets a little more connected, but a little further apart. But then there are moments that remind us to be more human. Thank you for calling Amica Insurance. Hey, uh, I was just in an accident. Don't worry, we'll get you taken care of. At Amica, we understand that looking out for each other isn't new or groundbreaking. It's human. Amica, empathy is our best policy. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Dr. Ann McKee has spent 14 years looking at the brains of hundreds of athletes who suffered concussions. Earlier this year, she said former Patriots tight end Aaron Hernandez was the most severe case of the degenerative brain disease, CTE, she had ever seen in someone under 30. Tonight, we'll hear that it's not only athletes who are at risk, but also the 300,000 soldiers who have returned home from war with brain injuries. Before he was deployed, you know, he said, Mom, you know, I could come back with no legs or no arms. But nobody ever said that he could lose his mind one day at a time. Welcome to the future, MIT's Media Lab, a place that follows crazy ideas wherever they may lead. We get to think about the future. What does the world look like 10 years, 20 years, 30 years? What should it look like? Time to go to sleep. How about dream control? Robotic prosthetics? What's the largest city in Bulgaria? And what is the population? Or connecting the human brain to the Internet? Sophia, 1.1 million? That is correct. You know, the best way to predict the future is to invent it. I'm Steve Croft. I'm Leslie Stahl. I'm Scott Pelley. I'm Sharon Alfonsi. I'm Nora O'Donnell. I'm Bill Whitaker. Those stories tonight on 60 Minutes. Hi, I'm Dan Primack, business editor at Axios. Right now, you can download, subscribe, and hear Pro Rata, the first podcast from Axios. We talk about the collision of politics, business, and technology, things like election hacking, or the battle over 3D-printed guns, or the Washington, D.C. blowback against big tech platforms like Facebook and Google. Listen and subscribe to Axios Pro Rata now. It's free on Apple Podcasts, Radio.com, or wherever you get your shows to get smarter, faster. 
Until a few years ago, NFL players who struggled with severe depression, bouts of rage, and memory loss in their retirement were often told they were just having a hard time adjusting to life away from the game. Doctors have since learned these changes can be symptoms of the degenerative brain disease, CTE, chronic traumatic encephalopathy, caused by blows to the head. As we first reported in January, CTE isn't just affecting athletes, but also showing up in our nation's heroes. Since 9-11, over 300,000 soldiers have returned home with brain injuries. Researchers fear the impact of CTE could cripple a generation of warriors. When Joy Kiefer buried her 34-year-old son this past summer, it was the end of a long goodbye. May his soul rest in peace. Kiefer's son, Sergeant Kevin Ash, enlisted in the Army Reserves at the age of 18. Over three deployments, he was exposed to 12 combat blasts, many of them roadside bombs. He returned home in 2012, a different man. His whole personality had changed. I thought it was exposure to all of the things that he had seen, and he just had become harder, mm-hmm. you know. But he was he was not happy. So at this point, you're thinking this decline, this change in my child is just that he's been in war and he's seen too much. Right. Did he tell you about blasts that he experienced during that time? Mm-hmm. What did he you tell know, you? That they shook him. Mm-hmm. And... He was having blackouts, and uh, it frightened him. Ash withdrew from family and friends. He was angry, depressed. Doctors prescribed therapy and medication. But his health began to decline quickly. By his 34th birthday, Sergeant Kevin Ash was unable to speak, walk, or eat on his own. Looking back on it now, was there anything you feel like he could have done? (laughs) Because? Because it was his brain. Mm -hmm. The thing I didn't know is that his brain was continuing to die. I mean, before I went into the service, he said, you know, I could come back with no legs or no arms or even blind. Or I could be shot. I could die. But nobody ever said that he could lose his mind one day at a time. His final wish was to serve his country one last time by donating his brain to science, a gesture he thought would bring better understanding to the invisible wounds of war. Joy reached out to the VA Boston University Concussion Legacy Foundation Brain Bank, where neuropathologist Dr. Ann McKee is leading the charge in researching head trauma and the degenerative brain disease, CTE. Think about some of the military cases. McKee has spent 14 years looking at the post-mortem brains of hundreds of athletes who suffered concussions while playing their sport. Last summer, her findings shook the football world when she discovered CTE in the brains of 110 out of 111 deceased NFL players, raising serious concerns for those in the game today. And when Dr. McKee autopsied Patriots tight end Aaron Hernandez, who killed himself after being convicted of murder, she found the most severe case of CTE ever in someone under 30. Now she's seen similar patterns in deceased veterans who experienced a different kind of head trauma 
combat blast. Of the 125 veterans' brains Dr. McKees examined, 74 had CTE. I can understand a football player who keeps, you know, hitting his head and having yeah. impact and concussions, but how is it that a combat veteran who maybe just experienced a blast has the same type of injury? This blast injury causes a tremendous sort of ricochet or, or uh, a whiplash injury to the brain inside the skull, and that's what gives rise to the same changes that we see in football players as in military veterans. Blast trauma was first recognized back in World War I. Known as shell shock, poorly protected soldiers often died immediately or went on to suffer physical and psychological symptoms. Today, sophisticated armor allows more soldiers to walk away from an explosion. But exposure can still damage the brain, an injury that can worsen over time. It's not a new injury. But what's been really stumping us, I think, as, as physicians, is it's not easily detectable, right? It's, you've got a lot of psychiatric symptoms, and you can't see it very well on images of the brain. And so it didn't occur to us. And I think that's been the gap, really, that this has been what everyone calls an invisible injury. This is the world's largest CTE brain bank. The only foolproof way to diagnose CTE is by testing a post-mortem brain. So these are full of hundreds of brains. Hundreds of brains, thousands really. Researchers carefully dissect sections of the brain where they look for changes in the folds of the frontal lobes, an area responsible for memory, judgment, emotions, impulse control, and personality. Do you see there's a little tiny hole there? That is an abnormality. That is a clear abnormality. And what would that affect? Well, it's part of the memory circuit. You can see that clear hole there that shouldn't be there. It's connecting the important you know, memory regions of the brain with other regions. So that is a sign of CTE. Thin slivers of the affected areas are then stained and viewed microscopically. It's in these final stages where a diagnosis becomes clear, as in the case of Sergeant Kevin Ash. So this is Sergeant Ash's brain. Right. This is four sections of his brain. And what you can see is these lesions. The, and those lesions are CTE. Uh, and they're in very characteristic parts of the brain. They're at the bottom of the crevice. Mm -hmm. That's a, a unique feature of CTE. And in a healthy brain, you wouldn't see any of those kind of brown spots. No, no. It would be completely clear. Mm -hmm. And then when you look microscopically, you can see that the tau, which is staining brown and is inside nerve cells, is surrounding these little vessels. And explain, what is the tau? So tau is a protein that's normally in the nerve cell. It helps with structure. And after trauma, it starts clumping up as a a toxin inside the nerve cell, and over time, and even years, gradually that nerve cell dies. Dr. Lee Goldstein has been building on Dr. McKee's work with testing on mice. We're in the neurotrauma laboratory. Inside his Boston University lab, Dr. Goldstein built this 27-foot blast tube where a mouse, and in this demonstration, a model, is exposed to an explosion equivalent to the IEDs used in Iraq and Afghanistan. And when it reaches about 25, this thing is going to go. Oh. Dr. Goldstein's model shows what's going on inside the brain during a blast. The brightly colored waves illustrate stress on the soft tissues of the brain 
as it ricochets back and forth within the skull. What we see after these last exposures, the animals actually look fine, which is shocking to us. They come out of what is a near lethal blast exposure, just like our military service men and women do, and they appear to be fine. But what we know is that that brain um, is not the same after that exposure as it was microseconds before. And if there is a subsequent exposure, that change will be accelerated. And ultimately, this triggers a neurodegenerative disease. And in fact, we can see that really after even one of these exposures. The Department of Defense estimates hundreds of thousands of soldiers have experienced a blast like this. What does that tell you? This is a disease and a problem that we're going to be dealing with for decades. And it is a huge public health problem. It's a huge problem for the Veterans Administration. It's a huge moral responsibility for all of us. A responsibility owed to soldiers like 34-year-old Sergeant Tom Bates. We were struck with large IED. It was a total devastation strike. Bates miraculously walked away from this mangled Humvee, one of four IED blasts he survived during deployments in Iraq and Afghanistan. Do you remember feeling the impact in your body? Yes. What is that feeling? Just basically like getting hit by a train. <laughs> and you were put back on the front lines? Yes. And that was it? Mm-hmm. When Bates returned home in 2009, his wife Libby immediately saw a dramatic change. I thought, something's not absolutely right here. Something's going on. For him to just lay there and to sob and be so sad, you know, what do you do for that? How do I, how do I help him? He would look at me and say, if it wasn't for you, I would end it all right now, you know. And I'm like, what do you... What do you do to, and what do you say to somebody who says that, you know? I love this man so much. And... You're going to the VA, you're getting help, but did you feel like you weren't getting answers? Yes. Yes. And so you took it into your own hands and started researching. I knew the way everything had gone and how quick a lot of my neurological issues had progressed, that something was wrong, and I, just, I wanted an answer for it. That led him to New York's Mount Sinai Hospital, where neurologist Dr. Sam Gandy is trying to move beyond diagnosing CTE only in the dead by using scans that test for the disease in the living. By having this during life, this is sort of um, now gives us, um, for, for the first time, the possibility of, of estimating the true prevalence of the disease. Mm -hmm. It's important to estimate prevalence so that people can uh, have some sense of what the risk is. In the past year, 50 veterans and athletes have been tested for the disease here. Tom Bates asked to be part of it. The injection I'm going to give you has a radioactive substance tracer. That radioactive tracer, known as T807, clings to those dead clusters of protein known as tau, which are typical markers of the disease. Through the course of a 20-minute PET scan, high-resolution images are taken of the brain and then combined with MRI results to get a 360-degree picture of whether there are potential signs of CTE. Scan results confirmed what Tom and Libby had long suspected. On the right, we see a normal brain scan with no signs of CTE, next to Tom's brain, where towel deposits, possible markers of CTE, are bright orange. Here, these could be um, responsible for some of the anxiety and depression that he's suffered, and we are concerned that it will progress. My hope is that this 
study becomes more prominent and gets to more veterans and stuff like that. So we can actually get like a reflection of what population might actually have this. All right, I want to just watch you walk. Okay. There is no cure for CTE. Dr. Gandhi hopes his trial will lead to drug therapies so he can offer some relief to patients like Tom. Dr. Ann McKee believes some people may be at higher risk of getting the disease than others. While examining NFL star Aaron Hernandez's brain, she identified a genetic biomarker she believes may have predisposed him to CTE, a discovery that could have far-reaching implications on the football field and battlefield. Do you think you'll ever be your old self again? Um, I don't ever see me being my old self again. I think it's just too far gone. So what's your hope then? Just to not become worse than I am now. <laughs> Since our story first aired, over 100 veterans have contacted Dr. Gandhi to enroll in ongoing trials to identify whether they're living with CTE. And more than 300 have reached out to Dr. McKee about donating their brains to research. What's your next adventure? Everyone deserves a chance to do what they love. Pacific Life helps you reach financial goals while you go after your personal ones. Plans change over time and your financial solutions can too. Pacific Life has a variety of financial solutions that can help you complement your life goals and passions while managing the uncertainties. Backed by more than 150 years of experience, you can count on Pacific Life to be there so you can go out and keep living your best life. Pacific Life is one of the most dependable and experienced insurers in the industry and has been named one of the 2019 world's most ethical companies by the Ethisphere Institute. The freedom to go after whatever is next for you? That's the power of Pacific. Ask a financial professional about how Pacific Life can help give you the freedom to do what you love or visit www.pacificlife.com. Back in the 1980s, a laboratory of misfits foresaw our future. Touch screens, automated driving instructions, wearable technology, and electronic ink were all developed at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology in a place they call the Media Lab. It's a research lab and graduate school program that long ago outgrew its name. This past spring, we first told you about how it's creating technologies to grow food in the desert, control our dreams, and connect the human brain to the Internet. Come have a look at what we found at a place you could call the Future Factory. To Arnav Kapoor, a graduate student in the Media Lab, the future is silent. He's developed a system to surf the Internet with his mind. What happens is when you're reading or when you're talking to yourself, your brain transmits electrical signals to your vocal cords. You can actually pick these signals up and uh, you can get certain clues as to what the person intends to speak. So the brain is sending an electrical signal for a word that you would normally speak, mm -hmm. but your device is intercepting that signal. It is. So instead of speaking the word, your device is sending it into a computer. That's correct. That's unbelievable. Let's see how this So, works. we tried it. What is 45,689 divided by 67? Sure. He silently asked the computer, 
and then hears the answer through vibrations transmitted through his skull and into his inner ear. Six, eight, one, point nine, two, five. Exactly right. One more. What's the largest city in Bulgaria, and what is the population? The screen shows how long it takes the computer to read the words that he's saying to himself. Sophia, 1.21 million. That is correct. You just Googled that. I did. You could be an expert in any subject. Mm -hmm. You have the entire internet in your head. That's the idea. Ideas are the currency of MIT's media lab. The lab is a six-story tower of Babel, where 230 graduate students speak dialects of art engineering, biology, physics, and coding, all translated into innovation. The Media Lab is this glorious mixture, this renaissance, where we break down these formal disciplines and we mix it all up and we see what pops out. That's the magic, that intellectual diversity. She was like, Hugh Herr is a professor who leads an advanced prosthetics lab. And what do you get from that? You get this craziness when you put like a toy designer next to a person that's thinking about what instruments will look like in the future next to someone like me that's interfacing machines to the nervous system. You get really weird technologies. You get things that no one could have conceived of. The Media Lab was conceived in a 1984 proposal. MIT's Nicholas Negroponte wrote, Computers are media that will lead to interactive systems. He predicted the rise of flat panel displays, HD TVs, and news whenever you want it. Negroponte became co-founder of the lab and its director for 20 years. When we were demonstrating these things in, let's say, 85, 86, 87, um, it was really considered new. It looked like magic. It was indistinguishable from magic. In 1979, MIT developed Movie Map, which predated Google Street View by decades. You are going north on Aspen Street. Now, notice what's so common today that you didn't even notice it. He's touching the screen. If you had seen that on 60 Minutes in the 80s, you would have been amazed. And you might have been dazzled by one of the earliest flat screens. It was six inches by six inches, black and white, it was a $500,000 piece of glass. It cost a half a million dollars. It cost half a million dollars, dollars, that piece of glass. And I said, that piece of glass will be six feet in diagonal with millions of pixels in full color. In 1997, the lab also gave birth to the grandfather of Siri and Alexa. Nomadic, wake up. Okay, I'm listening. Go to my email. Where do you want to go? And in 1989, it created turn-by-turn -turn navigation that it called backseat driver. They're right at the stop sign. And the MIT patent lawyers looked at it and said, this will never happen, never be done, because the insurance companies won't allow it, so we're not going to patent it. Look through the glass-walled labs today, and you will witness 400 projects in the making. The lab is developing pacemaker batteries, recharged by the beating of the heart. Self-driving taxi tricycles that you summon with your phone. Phones that do retinal eye exams. Ariana, 
tell you two stories. And teaching robots. So we think that the devices of tomorrow have an opportunity to do so much more and to fit better in our lives. Sort of, Professor Patty Maas ran the graduate program Student Admissions for more than a decade. We really select for people who have a passion. We don't have to tell them to work hard. Um, we have to tell them to work less hard <laughs> and to get sleep occasionally. How often does a student come to you with an idea and you think, we're not going to do that? Actually, for us, the crazier, the better. Typically, there's some blood vessels running Adam Har Horowitz's idea was so nutty, he was one of 50 new students admitted last year out of 1,300 applications. I was really interested in a state of sleep where you start to dream before you're fully unconscious, where you keep coming up with ideas right as you're about to go to sleep. Time to go to sleep. Har Horowitz's system plants ideas for dreams Remember to think of a mountain. Then records conversations with the dreamer during that semi-conscious moment before you fall asleep. Tell me, what are you thinking? I'm doing an origami pyramid. Her origami pyramid dream was influenced by the robot saying the word mountain. It's long been believed that this is the moment when the mind is its most creative. Har Horowitz hopes to capture ideas that we often lose by the next morning. So it's basically like a conversation. You can mm -hmm. ask, hey, Jibo, I'd like to dream about a rabbit tonight. It would watch for that trigger of unconsciousness. And then right as you're hitting the lip, it triggers you with the audio, and it asks you, what is it that you're thinking about? You record all that sleep talking, and then later, when you wake up fully, you can ask for those recordings. And when he brought this idea to you, what did you think? Really? Crazy enough. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome to the world of bodies and motions. <laughs> Nearby in Hugh Herr's lab, Everett Lawson's brain is connected to his prosthetic foot, a replacement for the club foot he was born with. The very definition of a leg or a limb or an ankle is going to dramatically change with what they're doing. It isn't just whole, it's 150%. You feel directly connected, huh? Yeah, when I fire a muscle really fast, it makes its full sweep. Her's team has electronically connected the computers in the robotic foot with the muscles and nerves in Lawson's leg. He's not only able to control via his thoughts, he can actually feel the designed synthetic limb. He feels the joints moving as if the joints are made of skin and bone. So you're going to test on... For Professor Her, necessity was the mother of invention. He lost his legs to frostbite at age 17 after he was stranded by a winter storm while mountain climbing. Through that recovery process, my limbs are amputated. I design my own limbs. I return to my sport of mountain climbing. I was climbing better than I'd achieved with normal biological limbs. That experience was so inspiring because I realized the power of technology to heal, to rehabilitate, and even extend human capability beyond natural physiological levels. You develop the legs that you're wearing today. Each leg has three computers, actually, and 12 sensors. And they run these computations based on the sensory information that's coming in. And then what's controlled is a motor system, like muscle, that drives me as I walk, enables me to walk at different speeds. What will this mean for people with disabilities? Technology is freeing. It removes the shackles of disability from humans. And the vision of the Media Lab 
is that one day, through advances in technologies, we will, we will eliminate all disability. So that was a big deal, because then... The current director of the Media Lab is Joey Ito, a four-time college dropout and one of those misfits that the lab prefers. After success in high-tech venture capital, he came here to preside over the lab's 30 faculty and a $75 million annual budget. How do you pay for all this? So we have 90 companies that pay us a membership fee to join the consortium. And then because it's all coming into one pot, I can distribute the funds to our faculty and students, and they don't have to write grant proposals. They don't have to ask for permission. They just make things. Do any of these companies lean on you from time to time and say, hey, we need some product here? They do. I fired companies for that. Um, you fired them? Yeah, I've told companies you're too bottom line oriented. Maybe we're not right for you. The sponsors, which include Lego, the toy maker, Toshiba, ExxonMobil, and General Electric, get first crack at inventions. The lab holds 302 patents and counting. We're inside of the lab. We have a Caleb Harper's idea is so big it doesn't fit in the building. So MIT donated the site of an abandoned particle accelerator for this trained architect who is now building farms. Welcome to the farm. He calls these food computers, farms where conditions are perfect. They're all capable of controlling climate. So they make a recipe, this much CO2, this much O2, this temperature. So we create a world in a box. Most people understand if you say, oh, the tomatoes in Tuscany on the North Slope taste so good and you can't get them anywhere else. That's those genetics under those conditions that cause that beautiful tomato. So we study that inside of these boxes with sensors and the ability to control climate. Tuscany in a box. Tuscany in a box, Napa in a box, Bordeaux in a box. Now these are plants you're growing in air. Yeah, so these basil plants grow not in soil but in air. The plant is super happy. No so dirt. Air saturated with a custom mix of moisture and nutrients. So each one of these are drops that drops down to the reservoir. The food computers grow almost anything, anywhere. What have you learned about cotton farming? So cotton is actually a perennial plant, which means it would grow, you know, the whole year long but it's treated like an annual, we have a season. So in this environment, since it's perfect for cotton, we've had plants go 12 months. So how many crops can you get in a controlled environment You like can this? crop up to four or five seasons. We're growing on average three to four times faster than they can grow in the field. The uncommon growth of the media lab flows from its refusal to be bound to goals, contracts, or next quarter's profits. It is simply a ship of exploration going wherever a crazy idea may lead. We get to think about the future. What does the world look like 10 years, 20 years? A story of betrayal you would struggle to believe if it wasn't true. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings early and ad-free on Wondery Plus. It was the biggest scandal in pop music. The stars of Milli Vanilli, the Grammy-winning multi-platinum R&B phenomenon, were exposed as frauds, but none of this was their idea. So whose idea was it? Enter German music producer Frank Varian. He saw the success of acts like Michael Jackson and Prince, and he wanted in, no matter the cost. So he devised the perfect pop heist. 
two once-in-a-lifetime talents who were charismatic, full of sex appeal, and phenomenal dancers. The only problem? They couldn't sing. But Frank knew just how to fix that. Wondery's new podcast, Blame It on the Fame, dives into one of pop music's greatest controversies and takes a never-before-heard look at the exploitation of two young Black artists. Millie Vanilli set the world on fire, but when the truth came out, Rob and Fab were the only ones who got burned. Looking back now, it's hard not to wonder, why did everyone blame them and not the man pulling the strings? Follow Blame It on the Fame, Millie Vanilli, on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of Blame It on the Fame early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery+. Plus. I'm CBS News correspondent Major Garrett, host of the podcast Agent of Betrayal, The Double Life of Robert Hansen. During the Cold War, FBI agent Robert Hansen traded classified secrets to the Kremlin in exchange for cash and jewels. In the podcast, you'll hear from Hansen's closest friends, family members, victims, and colleagues for the most comprehensive telling of who Robert Hansen really was. Binge the entire series now. Agent of Betrayal, The Double Life of Robert Hansen is available on the Wondery app, Amazon Music, or wherever you get your podcasts.